What a beautiful time of worship. Amen. Oh, let me just pull my computer out. It's just for looks. I don't have anything on here at all. So if you want to look like a cool millennial preacher, bring your Mac up on the podium. How's everyone doing? You guys doing well? It's a beautiful day to worship Jesus. Summer is upon us. Hallelujah. I hold fast to the, the scripture in Isaiah. It says, though I walk through the fire, it will not scorch me. So uh, just receive that encouraging word today. And uh, let's get into the scripture, though, uh, Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to read the story just before what I read last week. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to dive in. And I love looking at historical, contextual things about the Bible. Um, how many know that we have to, when we approach the scripture... First of all, I'm going to say this because last week, you know, I like to kick down sacred cows, man, and it's just who I am. And uh, and sometimes we can be uh, really enlightened by the reality that we have made some idols in our Christendom, and uh, and and sometimes the idols are doctrines of men. And so I'm being really nice right now, guys, but. Um, not that I'm mean, but last week, I, it's interesting, like we'll, we'll preach a word and, uh, and how many know that if, if our religion is exposed, sometimes we don't like that, right? I was studying this week and my religion was exposed and sometimes we hear what we want to hear. Now I'll just say this when I like to do this stuff. And, and so, uh, I believe there's a spirit of reformation taking place in the church, and, and we need to really embrace the reformers uh, that are bringing uh, these prophetic things to the body of Christ that are shaping, that are challenging, uh, and things like that. And so last week, we were talking about the Mary and the Martha thing, and I, I made a statement. I said something to the effect of, you know, sometimes we have old covenant mindsets, but we live in the new covenant. And there was uh, a couple people, what they heard from that, not what I said, what they heard from that was that I don't believe that the Old Testament is, is like the Bible and I don't read the Old Testament. I'm like, how did you hear that? Say, Lord have mercy. Listen, there is a huge, vast difference between living under a, a, the Mosaic Covenant when we've been ushered into a new and better covenant. Come on, read the book of Hebrews. Sealed by the precious blood of Jesus, that's entirely different than somebody that's dismissing, that's called Marcionism, dismissing, the, it's an early church heresy. The, the Old Testament, the 39 books, is the inspired, authoritative word of God along with the 27 books of the New Testament. Amen? But it doesn't mean if we read the Old Testament, we, we could read old and new and study the scriptures thoroughly, we could live under grace or we could live under a legalistic religious mentality when we have been freed from the law. And so it's really important that when we approach these sacred cows, let's approach it with the idea that we need to eat some burgers together. Amen. All right. So uh, you'll get that later, probably around like, you know, 1230 when you're hungry. But uh, I, I, I'm excited about the word today because 
it's one of those it's one of those things that I believe is it's going to be healing. I was just going to preach on the Father's love, which I am in a sense, but I I was going to tell some stories about my encounters with with you know my own father and and also a spiritual father that came into my life and. Um, you'll just have to hear that another time because I really felt like we're to d- dive in this text and we're going to read the story of Jesus's conversation with a lawyer and then the parable of the Good Samaritan. Are you guys ready? All right, let's read it together. Luke chapter 10, and we are going to start reading, uh, just be led by the spirit wherever the Lord drops your finger. Verse 25. Okay. All the prophetic people had their hand right, their finger right there. Actually, I already said it, so you knew where it was. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I love what it says in the Passion Translation. Uh, It says, let me just read it here. Then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. (laughs) That's so funny to me. Actually, I'm just going to read it in the Passion Translation. I have it here on the computer. Uh, He posed this question, teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? Jesus said, what does Moses teach us and what do you read in the law? That's a good question. Jesus answers a question with a question. Thanks, Lord. So then the, the religious scholar answers, it states, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your passion and all your energy and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, that is correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. (laughs) Good luck with that one, buddy. (laughs) Verse 29, wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean by my neighbor? Say my neighbor. neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? I want to see that movie. It looks really good. When is it coming out? I'm being distracted right now. Hold on. Let's go back to the Bible. Okay. Praise God. Squirrel. What verse are we at? Jesus, help me. 29. Thank you. Wanting to justify himself, he quit. I already read that. We're at verse 30. Jesus replied, listen, and I will tell you. Okay, here it is. This is the, this is the parable. Are you all ready? Let's dig into it. There was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. Sounds like a really good movie plot. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Soon, a Jewish priest walking down the same road came to the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed over to the other side of the road and walked right past him not turning to help him one bit. You know that we're all guilty of doing that with some hurting homeless person on the streets. So let's all repent right now. Forgive us, God. Okay. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, say a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and then took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, 
he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him, say take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. So now tell me which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor. Verse 37, the religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Then Jesus replied, he said, you must go and do the same as he. Can we say amen? Amen. Thank God for the word. Let's just pray real quick. Father, thank you. Uh, for your word this morning. Thank you for your people. Lord, I absolutely love what you're doing in our church. And I'm so grateful that we get to serve people and love people. And we are learning uh, what healthy community is. And we're learning what it is to be the church together. And I just pray right now on this Father's Day that something unique and holy would happen in our hearts as we dig into the scriptures and reading the gospel that you would exemplify, reveal, and demonstrate that we could experience your amazing love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And would you just shout out amen and then just give God like a hand clap or something. Come on. Thank you, Lord. I told first service the reason I do that it's because the clapping, clapping makes me feel like I'm already preaching good. And I have a little more courage to give you the word. Come on, somebody. <laughs> not really. That's not true at all. You know, I, I don't know about you, but how many like to watch movies? Yeah. How many are real religious about what kind of movies you watch? I'm not raising my hand because I, I remember we were at... Uh, my son, David, okay, David used to be this little guy. I know it's hard to imagine. My kids are growing up so fast. God help us. And little David used to have like long curly hair. And he was so pretty, people thought he was a girl sometimes. Because he's just, he's still pretty, yeah. But he, like, he, he's a good looking kid, man. I'll tell you, I don't even know how, he doesn't look like me, bro. Like, I, he's a good looking kid. I'm pretty good looking too, though, because my wife tells me that, but whatever. (laughs) So I remember one time we took him to uh, um, Lord of the Rings, and it was the one where the orgs came, and it was like, you know, they're whatever. I don't know the story very well. I didn't read the books, okay? I'm not a nerd like that, but uh, I I remember it's the, the scene where one of the orcs is like, it's the, uh, the time of the org has come. And David did it with this with this voice. And he was so little. When he was really little, he had like a deep voice. It was so cute. He's like, his voice, yeah, I want to play with boy toys. <laughs> Remember Sarah, one Christmas, we're coming down the stairs. Sarah's like, David, we're going to open presents. She's like, I don't want, I don't want girl toys. I want boy toys. <laughs> He was tiny, like this little, but we used to take our kids to movies that were a little frightening because we, our philosophy was we'll scare the fear out of them. (laughs) Kind of worked, man. They're not afraid of anything. Layla, we call her Layla Brave. Her real name is Layla Sophia, our youngest. She's five now. She's not afraid of anything. We used to live in this area where we'd walk out on this grass like a green belt and at night coyotes would come out and it was pitch black And you know how kids are like usually afraid of the dark? Layla runs right in the thick blackness of the dark because she's fearless. Because we scared the fear out of him. Come on, somebody. 
But I like going to movies and, you know, I remember taking him to, and it was a little scary. We took him to Lord of the Rings and, and so we're not too like, you know, maybe we should tighten up what we let our kids watch to just keeping it real. You know, I got to keep it real up here behind the pulpit. Come on, this is a transparent pulpit up here. Glory to God. <laughs> but uh, how many of you have ever been watching a movie and you're like, I, we do this sometimes. Like if my wife and I are watching a movie, the good looking guy that gets the good looking girl, I'm like, that's me and that's you, baby. How many have ever done that? Like, that's you in the story. That's me in the story. Like, that's me. You're watching a superhero movie? Oh, I'm Superman. No, I'm Hulk. No, I'm all of them combined. <laughs> Who's ever done that? <laughs> As a child, maybe. Yeah, when I was, yeah, pastor, when I was six years old, I did that. Have you ever looked at the scriptures and said, that's me in the story? I, I love this story because... I'd like to unpack something. And I think Jesus, as he is talking with this lawyer, here's what he's doing. He's handing us a lens in which we can understand the parable. Sometimes Jesus, before he says something profound, he says something to lay a foundation for a truth so that we can understand the truth. And sometimes we approach the scripture and we approach the scripture from this thing of like, not just who am I in the story, but, but almost like, how do I apply this to my life? How many, how many have ever, like every time you read the Bible, how do I apply this to my life? So we read the scripture and I think that's good. And I think the intent is pure. But before we say that, I think we should say is where is Jesus in the story and how does it help me follow him? Where, how does this point to Jesus because I'm following Jesus. As a Christian, when we read the Old Testament, we don't read it that it's an equal in authority with what Jesus says, because we're in a new covenant. So it has a different shade to it. It's types and shadows. It's all authoritative. All the books of the Bible are authoritative and inspired. Can you say amen? It's the word of God. But we have to read the Bible with the light on. And when we turn the light on, the light is Jesus we see this color, this vividness where it's no longer just shadows uh, and little things that not obscure things that maybe don't make sense, but now it makes sense. And Jesus in the story, he's having a conversation with the lawyer. And I think if we understand what he's saying to the lawyer, we can understand the parable. Jesus is handing us some lenses. There's a lot of lenses we read the Bible through. One of the reasons that I think I was mildly persecuted last week for saying what I said about old covenant mindsets and people heard that, oh, he just dismissed over half the Bible. I mean, that's just ridiculous because I believe the Bible. I, I think that right now the church is going through some stuff where there's an overcorrection with uh, the way that we have committed idolatry, and now there's a lack of value for the scripture. And I believe I'm a part of a reformation that is going to bring us to a level where we love the scripture without idolizing the text, but allowing it to point us to an encounter and experience of the word of God, the eternal logos, who is Jesus. And, and so sometimes we overcorrect, you know, but we'll, we'll look at the scriptures and we read our Bibles with the light off. But when, when we allow Jesus to shed light by the Holy Spirit, we see a lot of really cool stuff. And then it becomes, where do I see Jesus in the text? Because he is truth. And then it can become, how do I apply this to my life? So let's start there. And I want to just point out a couple things and then we're going to dive into this and, uh, 
And I'll go for probably another 20 minutes or so, and then I'll dismiss you because you come to the second service because it's shorter than the 8 or the 11.30. Praise God. <laughs> First two services are a little tighter. Come on, somebody. Uh, so, man, I, I really think we've got to catch this. Jesus is answering his question with a question, and he says, what does Moses teach us, and what do you read in the law? How many know Jesus came to fulfill the law? How many know there's times that, that people are saying, well, it, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. So Jesus is bringing new and better. He also sometimes preaches the law on steroids just to magnify the reality that it's impossible to keep it. Hello? And, and you read this and it's like, I love it in the Passion Translation because... The scholar answers, it's like, yeah, we have to love the Lord your God with all your passion, your energy, and every thought. How many here could raise their hand and say, I love the Lord with every thought? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, especially when that dude cut you off on the freeway. God knows what you were thinking. <laughs> Thank God for his mercy, man, you know. We're, we're all in need of it because we can't do it on our own. Jesus is like, yeah, good luck with that. And then he wanted to justify himself because he knew he couldn't do that when Jesus is like, yeah, that's correct. Now go do exactly that, exactly, and you'll live. Then he goes on and Jesus said, uh, what, what do you mean by my neighbor? So then there's this thing of loving your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus brings this parable that most of us are familiar with. I mean, we grow up with it, we, and, and we think about like, who am I in the story? And most of us, can I just say this? Most of us will say we're supposed to be that good Samaritan. Raise your hand if you've ever heard it taught like that. We gotta be that, and I, I believe that we are to love our enemies, we're to love the broken, and, uh, and, but I think we might be missing something in the text because here's why. Sometimes we don't capture that lens to see what Jesus is really saying. And some of the reason why is because we have chosen to love the law more than we do Jesus. Because we put more faith and trust in our ability, not just the law of the Old Testament, but our ability to keep ourselves together and manage ourselves Instead of trusting Jesus that he has transformed us and given us a new identity, called us sons and daughters and trust in his love and, and just love him back in a way where we're not relying. Sometimes I think we've idolized the legal systems of our Christendom, our religion. And I, I think Jesus demonstrates this right as he begins to tell the story. So there's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, first of all, you need to know historically from Jerusalem to Jericho, it went from about 2,300 feet above sea level down to near the Dead Sea, which was like a 1,000 feet below sea level. That's a pretty steep climb. Now, historically, even the fifth century, Jerome said that this road was like, it was called something to the effect of the, the bloody road because people were robbed on this road. The priests, a lot of priests and Levites lived in Jericho during this time. Uh, it's numbered over 10,000 Levites lived in Jericho and they would go back and forth from Jerusalem to Jericho. But this journey was a decline. How many have ever been on the journey, and it feels like you're declining. Like, <laughs> this just isn't working out too well. So Jesus goes on and, and, and says this man was robbed. It, it, it was a happening. Let me just say this, that a happening doesn't have to have a divine question mark behind it. 
Happenings are happenings. Well, God is in control of all things. Exhaustively, so he's responsible for rape, abortion, murder, and all that stuff? No. Happenings are happening. Some things just happen because there's natural laws, spiritual laws, there's sin, there's principalities, powers. How many know that there's, there's all that stuff? And happenings are happenings, and some things just happen. And good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. But it doesn't mean there's a divine why behind it. That's good for us to meditate on because we always say, well, why? Why? How about how? How is, well, there's natural laws, spiritual laws. Well, if I dove onto this rug like it was a swimming pool and broke my neck, I would have no reason to say, why? Because I dove onto the carpet thinking it was a swimming pool. <laughs> Some things happen, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not belittling, like, you know, sometimes, sometimes, we get robbed on the road and like, like the story where things happen to people. And, but I just want to emphasize like there, when we say things like all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, right? Like those who love God are called according to his purpose. We misquote that. And we think all things work together is all things are initiated by God. That's not what it says. All things work together, but that doesn't mean all things were initiated by God. Well, I had a flat tire, so the Lord was teaching me a lesson. Well, I went to the doctor. I got a bad report. I guess God allowed me to be sick for a reason. No, man. Sickness is the result of sin reigning in the cosmos. Sin is a disease that entered into humanity thousands of years ago. And how many know that it is our alienation from God that causes death and disease? It's never been a part of God's heart and plan for humanity. This is so important for us. The phrase God is in control is sometimes uses this passive thing to just, well, I guess it's just for a reason, as if we're supposed to somehow submit to this all sovereign God. I'm sorry, but that's not comforting to me when somebody is taken before their time. Come on, somebody. You lose a loved one. I don't want to hear God is in control. You tell me God took my loved one. Is that what you're, that doesn't comfort me. Well, God must have needed another angel in heaven. What that person needs in that moment of brokenness is someone to weep with them, someone to love them, because that's where Jesus is in our brokenness. He weeps with us, loves with us. He's right there to comfort us. And he doesn't make excuses and say, well, you know, son, the reason this, no, there's no reason. It, it's a happening. There doesn't have to be a divine question mark behind everything. But the problem is our mind is entrenched with Greek philosophical concepts of God. We see an omni being omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and, and that's all we see instead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is relational, a relational God. I believe the cure is if we see God in time, present with us, closer than the air we breathe, loving us in our brokenness, and he's with us. Like David said, I could go to the highest mountain, you're with me. I could go to hell, it's translated, Sheol. How many know? God says, I am with you. David says, you're with me wherever I go. If we see God in time with us and close to us versus transcendent and far from us or, you know, omniscient and omnipresent. And I think it's, it, it will complicate things. Then we're thinking, well, if he sees everything at once and he lives outside of time, he knew this was going to happen. Why didn't he protect me? Stop thinking that way. Listen, a great, uh, this is a charismatic priest, a guy by the name of Kenneth Tanner years ago, or a couple years ago, he said this, he said, you were not made for omniscience. Turn it off. Such a good word. 
Like we got, we always have to, we have to know why everything's happening. We don't well, no, there's, there, there doesn't have to be a divine reason behind it. It's a happening. This guy got robbed. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. You ever been there? And then he goes on. I spent way more time on that than I thought I was going to. And then, and then a priest walks down the same road and comes on. Now listen, I see two things here. I see a priest and a Levite. I see two people that are under the law. They're bound by the law. One is bound by legalism and the law. The other is bound by fear. The reason being is the priest, maybe he thought this guy was dead. He wasn't moving. He was half dead. He was out cold. Brother got knocked out. And the priest knew the scripture, Leviticus 11, I believe it is. It says that if a priest on his way to, you know, the temple or just even being a priest, if he touches a corpse, he becomes unclean. So he was, in essence, elevating the law above love. And the Levite, kind of along the same lines, may have been thinking, well, maybe this guy that's on the ground is actually a robber, and this is a setup. Because that's what happened. And the Bible says that he, he, he probably came a little bit closer to him than the priest. So the Levite comes up, and he's thinking, nope, fear, fear. So the bondage of the law, whether it's our worship of the law or wisdom, fear masking as wisdom, he was being careful. I don't want to get too close. We don't want to get too close to broken people, right? And so there's something really powerful. But then Jesus says, but finally a Samaritan. Now, most of the time, we've all done it, right? Who am I in the story? I'm the Samaritan, praise God. I did 14 good deeds this week, glory to God. You know, and, and we keep track of it. We do. You probably remember the last time you gave a homeless dude money. It's quiet up in this place. Come on, somebody. We keep track of all our good deeds, and we really keep track of all our mistakes, probably more so, depending on whether we're an honest sitter or a hypocritical saint. You know, sometimes we fall on one side or the other. But when we're honest, like, yeah, we, we keep record of our wrongs and we also keep record of our rights. And Jesus is saying, listen, the law can't save you. Your law would pass this dude by. Your system isn't going to work. Your goodness. He's, he's talking to a lawyer. He's saying, listen, let me hand you some lenses in which you can see the moral of the story or the, the person that's in the story, or where you are in the story. Because where are you in the story right now on your road in life? Is your road that you're on, are you declining? Does it feel like things are getting worse and worse and worse? And when you feel robbed and beaten and you're hemorrhaging and you're half dead, where's God in the midst of that? Where is he when we are broken and oppressed and in a dark place? That's a really good question, right? Yeah. That's why it's so quiet, because you're thinking about it. 
But if I read, and, and then finally another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man, was moved with tender compassion for him. Wait a minute, in John chapter 8, the Bible says that the Jews called Jesus a Samaritan. The Samaritans were rejected. John chapter 1, it says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Maybe the Samaritan is not some typology of us trying to ascend to this good moral being that we would love the broken and the hurting, which of course we're called to do. Maybe the Samaritan Samaritan is Jesus and maybe we're the one on the road that got robbed. Because if I keep reading, it says he was moved with tender compassion. Oh, if I look at the gospels, it's just laden with this compassionate, tender Jesus that was quick to go for the, the one and leave the 99. Come on, you, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. If you look in the story, you'll see where we are in the story. And it's not the Samaritan because we can't do it ourselves. If we keep reading in verse 34, it says he stooped down. I don't know about you, but I understand that Christianity is about the incarnation of God. God took on skin to heal our disease, to die for us, to be raised for us, to ascend and to sit at the right hand of God. And guess what? We were taken up in him. We were crucified with him, but he stooped down. Read it in Philippians chapter two. He poured out his divine love. The word is kenosis. He, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became Human, he became actually he he became not just human because the he was fully human, fully God. But when we say God became flesh, it's not anthropos, human in the Greek. It's sarx, which is where we get the word flesh. Sometimes it's our bodies. Sometimes Paul even uses it for what we translate sinful nature, our fallen nature. Jesus never sinned, but he took on our fallen nature. What is flesh? God became flesh. John 1.14, God became flesh. Here's their translation of flesh for you. Are you ready? Humanity trapped in darkness. Jesus became, Jesus became flesh to set us free from darkness. Jesus is the Samaritan in the story. He stooped down, gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine. Come on. He pours the love of his wine out on our wounds. He pours the oil of his spirit out in the first century. This was a healing balm, oil and wine, which by the way, let me just say this, the priest and the Levite guaranteed they had oil and wine on them. They had what they need, but they weren't willing to go the extra mile. Why? Because they didn't know what the love of God was, they were still stuck in the law. And as long as we stay in a legal religious system in our Christian, we cannot give the world what the world needs. The world's hungry for the love of God, not some legal sin management junk. Oh, don't get me preaching on that right now. And here's what he did. He bandaged them to stop the bleeding. He lifted him up. He placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. He brought him to a safe place. Jesus took, he came into our darkest place and lifted us up where he was. Wow, sounds like what Paul said when he said that you're seated with him in heavenly places. You didn't just die with Christ. You were buried. You were raised. You ascended and now you're seated. You know, the reason we don't know who we are is we don't know where we are. Jesus said, Father, I want them to be where I am. Where's that? John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. and the, You all know this because you debate with Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God, right? We all know the word. But what is the word with? Jesus is God. 
the, begin, the word, the Logos, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Before anything, it was the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe that, right? But what is the word with? Does that mean alongside? So you have the Father, you have the Father, the fount of the Trinity. And then you have the Son, begotten, not made. And then you have the Spirit, which sometimes is, is spoken of as the love between the Father, the Son, the eternal light in which the Son sees the Father, the Father sees the Son. Why is that important? Because the word with in the Greek is pros. It means face to face. So if we realize where we were in Christ, we're not just seated in heavenly places, we're face to face with the Father. And he's not mad, he's smiling. And when I look at the life of Jesus, we see who the Father is. He came to reveal the heart of the Father. He came to reveal to us the love that we needed to pour oil on our wounds, to bandage our bleeding, to pour wine and disinfect with his mercy. You see, sin is a disease. Sin isn't just breaking God's law. It's a disease. When I need healing, I don't go to a judge to get judged. I go to a doctor to get healed. And our religious systems are juridical. They're legal. But the kingdom is relational, family, love, union. Come on. Let's keep reading here. He lifted him up, placed him on his donkey. He took him to an inn, a safe place. And then he said, uh, Travis pointed this out. We were discussing this one time. And he pointed out that he saw the Trinity in here. So not only is Jesus the Samaritan and we're the one on the road, but then he takes him to the inn. Who's the innkeeper? The father. And then he gave him money. That's the deposit. What is that? The, the Holy Ghost put it on my account. I got you covered. Here's my credit card. Charge it up. All of heaven's behind you. Come on, somebody. You got enough grace. You got all the grace you need to get better. There's more than enough mercy and grace. Now, what about if we look at this and see, yeah, that is us. But what if, what if we are proverbially the priest and the Levite? Now that we know that love, we can give that person to Jesus. Say, Jesus, remember when you picked me up and tell our story? Say, will you put him on the donkey like you did me and take him to the inn? Take him to a safe place. Take him to your presence. Take him to your heart, God. Take him to a community, the church. I've heard a, a pastor say that the inn is a type of the church. Oh, man, we've been reading the story wrong because we, we, we didn't realize Jesus was handing us some lenses to understand the Samaritan is not what we're trying to live up to. The Samaritan is Jesus telling us you can't do it on your own. And when you're declining on that road of life and stuff, ha stuff happens, I could use another word, but everybody leave right now. Stuff happens, but God's right there. Where is he in my darkest moment? Right there. So close you couldn't even comprehend. Closer than the air that you breathe. He's right there in our pain and our brokenness. The Father's love is revealed. Doesn't mean he caused it or initiated it. No, he's right there. And one day, come on, we'll have new bodies, the resurrection life of the last resurrection, glorified bodies, glory to God. I'll be able to play basketball and I'll beat Laris one-on-one. -on -one. That's my prayer anyways. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen. How many are thankful that his love reaches to our lowest places? That is the love of God. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring oil on his wounds. 
And then he goes on, the innkeeper, he gives, gives him to the innkeeper, says, hey, take care of him until I come back for my journey. Who's coming back for his... <laughs> and if it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. So now tell me which one of the three men who saw the wounded man pro proved to be the true neighbor. The religious scholar replies, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. You must go and do the same as he. Good luck with that one. See, we're so quick to, how do we apply the Bible to life? Wait, where do I see Jesus? How do I find Jesus in the text? That's, that's the key, guys. What, whatever verse you're reading, where's Jesus? How does this point to Jesus? What happened with this verse when it went through the finished work of the cross? If you don't take it through Calvary, you're gonna end up stuck over here in this legal juridical system. Although the entire scripture is inspired, it doesn't mean it's appropriately and literally applicable. Read the Bible literally before you take it literally. Well, who was it written to? What did the reader understand? What did the writer understand? Where's Jesus in the text? And when I know where Jesus is in the text, I know where I am in the text. And then I can say, how do I apply this to my life? Because I'm following him. So on Father's Day today, would you, with me, let us reflect on the love of the Father clearly demonstrated in the life of Jesus, in the incarnation of God, when he took on skin. See, Baxter Kruger says, he pitched his tent in our darkest place. So if you've been on the road that's declining, you got robbed and you're half dead, guess who's right there to pick you up? And, and listen, we always talk about the love of the father. You know, if you've never had a father, in your, it's not just for people that are, have orphan wounds. It's for all of us. It's for all of us, right, Lee? Like, think about that. It's for all of us. Why do we always, oh, your father wounds, you know? No, it's for all of us. We need it. We need the love of the father. Not just people that have never had a dad or didn't have a parental figure. And we're religious lawyers. We like to, well, what do I do? Oh, okay, Lord, yes, praise God. No, no. We need to see who we are, who Jesus is in the story. And then we see who are, we are in the story. And he's the one who picks us up. Why? Because the Father's love is demonstrated to us in our, when we were a half dead. Come on, how many could say, that was me in the story. I remember that. Maybe you're there now. But I remember when I was half dead and Jesus picked me up. I didn't deserve it. Couldn't earn it. But he picked me up and demonstrated I had value. Even though I was unworthy, I still had worth. Tricky with the English language. But you can be unworthy, not deserve something by merit, but still have worth, value. The blood of Jesus does not make you valuable. It proves you're valuable. All right, let's close in prayer. I could keep preaching. We're going to just roll into the next service. Jesus, help us. Would you do me a favor? Would you lift your hands to the Lord or close your eyes if you want? I just want to pray for you. Everyone in this room... May we open our hearts to the amazing love of the Father. I bless your people. You know every person here. You have every hair on their head numbered. You know their heart, their aches, their tears, their laughs. God, I just pray that they would have a greater revelation of your love today.
that we would celebrate the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus. That's what Christianity is, Lord. We want to see you. We look to you. We love you. And we thank you for your love and presence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you say amen? Honey, would you come up, dismiss, call the prayer team up. God bless you, church. Can you guys just say amen to that word this morning? Thank you, Jesus. If I could have our prayer team come up and make themselves available. If you need prayer for anything or you um, just want somebody to talk to or, or partner with you on something, I just encourage you come find one of our prayer team um, ministers. They're amazing. Also, if it's your first time on your way out, we have a engage section in the back. We'd love to meet with you, connect with you, get to know you, have you fill out a contact card. All right. And we also have breakfast we're serving right now. So go hang out a little bit, have some food with your family, pick up your kids first though. Okay. All right, Father, I bless your people. I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the truth that sets us free. Jesus, thank you for the revelation that you are the good Samaritan to us. And so we just receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. You're dismissed.